How's it going, everyone? Before we get to our show today, I just wanted to make a quick announcement about Path 11 TV and our February event that we are having. Uh, we have invited Drew Cowley, who is a psychic guide, intuitive, evidential medium, Reiki master teacher, and meditative facilitator to come to Path 11 TV and offer a gallery reading to show us his mediumship skills. And anyone who is subscribed to Path 11 TV will be invited to a private Zoom room on February 16th. 16th at 11 a.m. And he will be providing mediumship readings for you. Now, of course, readings aren't guaranteed. Uh, he only has about an hour to do this. And um, he will do his best to get through everyone. But I am very, very excited to have him on Path 11 TV. And again, this is something that is a perk for our subscribers only. So you can't actually watch this on Path 11 TV. Uh, when you subscribe, we will send you an email with the invitation uh, with the private Zoom link so that you can enter this cool event on February 16th at 11 a.m. And that is Eastern Standard Time. And I had a reading by him. I was very, very impressed. I like the way that he works so much so that I'm going to take his mediumship training. And I think you guys are really going to enjoy his presence and just for today, I'm going to give you a coupon code for 30% off of your subscription of Path 11 TV. You can go ahead and put podcast 30 in. You could sign up for a seven day free trial, but I know that you are going to want to at least subscribe for a few months, if not the full year. And like I said, every month we have an event like this. So if you're not subscribed, you're going to miss out on it. So head on over again to path11tv.com. We have that coupon code 30% off podcast 30. And I am really excited for our guest today, so let's head on over to our show. Hi, and thanks for tuning in to the Path 11 Podcast. I am your host, April Hanna. At the Path 11 Podcast, we are here trying to deliver leading-edge research on consciousness, healing, and metaphysics. And just like you, we are trying to answer the big questions about life. Who are we? Why are we here? And what is our purpose? We hope by listening to our podcast, it will make each day you live on Earth a little easier to understand. And now for today's podcast. Welcome everyone to the Path 11 podcast. We have another near-death experience to share with you today. My guest, Chris Quito, was 24 years old when he went into an anaphylactic shock from a food allergy, and it led him into a life-changing near-death experience in 2012. He's now 32 years old, clearly lived to tell about this uh, near-death experience. And the connection was we interviewed a woman, Trisha Barker. She's episode 220. And Chris was on her show. Chris has also talked at the IANS conference, and he has been uh, speaking more publicly about his near-death experience. And Trisha said, head on over to Path 11 Podcast. They would love to hear your story. And I'm very excited to have him here. So he's going to be telling us the events that led up to his near-death experience, the near-death experience itself, and then the events and the after effects upon him and how he's been integrating this experience into his life, both personally professionally and personally. So Chris, welcome to the Path 11 podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited ever since I uh, had my interview with Trisha, who I've known for uh, quite some time, met her at an IANS chapter, we, uh, conference we both spoke at. She's always spoken very highly of, of this channel and the organization. So it's a pleasure to be here. 
Yeah. Yeah. I'm so glad that you're here. And actually, it's kind of strange. This is a little bit off topic, but uh, with everything coming out with COVID and the vaccine, I was reading um, some of the effects of it, like the side effects. And it said, if you have ever had an allergic reaction, and I was thinking, well, very interesting, an anaphylactic reaction. I said, well, my next guest, you know, he's not going to be able to take this vaccine, I guess. I mean, it's a different topic. But. Well, I, I wasn't planning on taking it prior, <laughs> but uh, more so now not to take it. I just hope, um, you know, I'm glad that the reports are coming. And, you know, just quickly on that topic, I, I have had a severe anaphylactic reaction. Um, it, it, they're very dangerous. You know, it's, you know, a lot of people sometimes, you know, I've been out speaking and been involved in the allergy community for some time now, more than the NDE community. And um, there's also an issue of language that also you know, the issue of language with allergy as well with NDE is that, you know, they think of an allergic reaction, someone may just sneeze. And that's true. You could say you have an allergic reaction, you sneeze, or, oh, I get a little hives on my arm. And that could also be an allergic reaction, could be full anaphylaxis, and your throat closes, and um, it's life-threatening. So, I, I you know, it's, it's when they say they're going into anaphylaxis, it, it's very life-threatening in some cases. Some people may just feel sick. Others are going into full-on anaphylaxis and need epinephrine and not having that administered properly and quickly with sometimes multiple doses, it can be absolutely fatal. So uh, I'm glad the reports are coming out and it should bring some awareness to the community that if you do have reactions, maybe check with an allergist or your primary care and um, see if this is something that is okay for you to take and be prepared that it could be some side effects and they could also be delayed side effects. Allergic reactions sometimes are not always instant. For example, in my case, I'll get into shortly, they could be delayed by several hours. It's something to be aware of. You never know how the body's going to respond. And, um, you know, you just want to be as well prepared and healthy as possible. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah. So why don't you tell us a little bit about how did all this happen? What were the events leading up to it? And, um, and I'll let you just take the show away. Great. Thank you. So um, it's been about eight and a half years since I had my near death experience. I, um, I attempted to speak about it several years after, but I was really unable to really come together with the words and really still to this very moment in the process of integrating the experience and, you know, rebuilding and and growing through it and, and, and learning to really in many ways readjust my life physically, mentally, emotionally, and, and, and go from there with the NDE. So it only came out about, you know, eight months ago, I started actually speaking publicly with a video I did with Anthony Shen that did very well. And then at that point I decided to really make an effort to put myself out there, you know, starting with the story. You know, I grew up in Long Island, New York. I went to school in Connecticut. I played lacrosse and I had a very nice upbringing. I grew up in a family that was not particularly religious. I, I, you know, we celebrated Christmas. We'd always say it was Santa's birthday. I never really went to church. I think once or twice with my grandmother. Um, and we were out of there the moment we could be. So I never, so I went, and the reason I bring that up is a lot of ND years when they speak, they have a contrast or they have a certain viewpoint or a belief system already in place. I did not have a standard religious belief system in place. I was spiritual. I was, you know, I like to think I was somewhat grounded and I had an understanding of the universe, but I didn't, I, I wasn't 
within any confines of an organized religion or I had a definite set of beliefs of this is heaven, this isn't, this is what happens, this is what not happens. You know, I was 20, 20 through 24 at the time, so I didn't, I didn't have any, any decades of life experience to really go into the NDE with. And I went in very neutral, which I you know, later realized hearing other stories and processing myself, which really, I, I think, really helped me. And, and even now, these, these eight and a half, almost nine years later, still integrating and processing the experience, going in neutral. And that really was very important, I realized, now, initially, when that happened. So at the time, I graduated from school. Within a year, I moved out to Los Angeles to start my career. I was in real estate at the time, still am. And um, I was at a friend's birthday party on a Sunday evening. And they were cutting up cake, serving cake. And, you know, I always grew up with a peanut allergy. And it was something that I was aware of. I had EpiPens. I always say most of the time they were mostly expired. You know, you get them and you get them 18 months later. They were bad after 12 months. They say sometimes they last up a little bit longer, but who knows? It was not something I was fully conscious of in the sense that I was very adamant about avoiding. Well, I always avoided peanuts, and that's one thing with a food allergy, you avoid it. But it was not, I did not, I had looking, compared to now, I had a very you know, casual, I would say a casual attitude towards the allergy. I knew I had the allergy. I avoided it. I would eat foods that may contain traces in many cases. I'd just roll the dice. I'd say, I just want it. I'm going to have it. Now that's something I would not do. And um, that that all kind of fits into this, this story. I, I just, it was just something that was there. I lived with it. I never had any serious reactions, but I did have allergy tests and there were times when I was a very small child, I'd have slight reactions when I realized I had the allergy. Nothing, nothing remotely close to anaphylaxis. Again, it goes back to what we said earlier about the degree of the allergic reaction where I was allergic, but there was no anaphylaxis. It was, you know, a simple itchy mouth. You got some hives. You know, I sneezed a little bit. Three, four Benadryl later throughout the day, I was fine. We're back to good, back to normal. Now we fast forward we're at this party and, and this is what led up to this. This was this was the mind state I was in, the consciousness that I had, and and um I was at the party and uh they were cutting up cake and handing it out. And you're you're meeting people, you're talking to people. It was on a Sunday night, and I took a slice of the cake and I ate it, and you know, this very interesting moment, because I remember it like it happened this morning. I don't really know what a peanut tastes like, to be very frank. I, I have an idea from the smell. I can smell it from, you know, I, I know that. And I, I knew immediately something was wrong when I swallowed the cake. And then I realized within that moment, oh, oh, geez, what did I just do? Was that a peanut? Oh, gosh, I just ate a peanut. Why is there peanut in cake? Why is there a peanut cake? Why are there nuts in it? And um, I immediately just grabbed like Sprite. I remember grabbing Sprite. So I was like, Oh, but carbonation and that will just, you know, will, will make my mouth not itch. And I had like a slight itch in my mouth and that was really it. And I thought to myself, all right, you know, I'll be out of here. We got another half hour and I'll go home. I'll take some Benadryl and we'll sleep it off and we'll be okay Monday morning. And it's no big deal. I, I don't see this being a big issue. It was such a minuscule amount of peanut that I had. I, it was probably 
the quarter the size of an M&M, so small. And I said, all right, a few Benadryl will get this going. So I, I was really okay. I, uh, a little more, just a little startled that I, that I ingested a peanut, not no, no concern medically other than I'll take some Benadryl and we'll keep an eye on this and we'll get home. So I get home, I take a couple of Benadryl, I go to bed. I, you know, it's, it's fine. I'm just kind of laying there and, you know, I'm having trouble sleeping. I'm like, oh, this Benadryl should be putting me asleep. It's not. I'm getting a little worked up here. I feel warm. You know, a little itchy. Things are a little off. Is that off? Am I just getting a little overreactive with what's going on? I'll be fine. I'm just a little stressed about this. It's no big deal. And said, so, you know what? Where are my EpiPens? Let me go just make sure I have them. Who can, you know, let me just have them by the nightstand. So I go looking for the EpiPens and I look in the mirror and I'm like, oh, geez, I'm red. I'm red all over. I'm in the bathroom. I got hives on me. I'm like, okay, let me take another Benadryl. I found the EpiPen. Shocking. They were expired by several months. I had the EpiPen. And I said, all right, let me just see this other Benadryl and let's just see. Maybe this will just simmer down now. The extra Benadryl will kick in. And I'm laying there. I go back to bed and I said, all right, I'm laying there. And I just, I felt at this point, my breathing was becoming more and more labored. It was harder to breathe, not at the point of panic, but the, the moment where you realize it's a little bit harder and a little bit harder and some more time goes on and it's getting harder to breathe. And I said, all right, let me look in the mirror. Let's see if these hives went down or what's going on. Maybe I'm just freaking myself out. You know, it's 11 o'clock at night now, 10, 30, 11. I go in the mirror and look in the bathroom, flick the light on, it's bright. I look and I'm, I'm covered in hives. I'm red. My eyes are bloodshot. And again, I'm thinking about my breathing. It's, it's difficult, not difficult, panic difficult, but there's something wrong that wasn't wrong 15, 20 minutes, half hour ago, let alone an hour ago, that this is, I'm realizing, getting progressively worse, as well as the Benadryl is not having any effect. At this point that I can see, maybe it's slowing it down, but I, um, I'm starting, I'm, I'm reacting, or I'm having an allergic reaction at this point. So I started thinking to myself, okay, my breathing is getting more difficult. It's Sunday night. I'm in Los Angeles. There's not a lot of traffic. What do I do? Do I use the EpiPen? Will they work? I've never used one before. I know how to, but I've never actually used it, so I don't know the sensation. I don't know what would happen afterwards once I use it. Am I mobile? Am I not mobile? Do I call 911? Do I go in an ambulance? Do I take myself to the emergency room? I don't, I, you know, I'm, I'm in this moment of thinking, what do I do? And I'm thinking, as well as what do I do, but this is now becoming a life-threatening situation, and I need to make the correct decision to potentially keep myself alive and, 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 and function. And I thought to myself, you know what? I'm going to drive myself to the hospital. I can still move. Let me just get it. It'll take me 10 minutes to get there. So I get in my car, I grab my EpiPen, I have that with me. I said, listen, worst comes to worst. I, I, again, I didn't know what would happen with the epinephrine. I could always use the epinephrine to get me there. Let me get myself to a hospital because I know I can get there in 10 minutes. I don't know how long an ambulance would take. And um, <clears throat> so I start driving and I remember driving and, and it was becoming every minute that went by felt like an hour and time was just kind of starting to, warp for me 
and I was becoming, it was becoming hard to breathe. It wasn't, it was a lot of labor, but it was becoming difficult. And, and at this point, panic, I, I was starting to become more panicked. Like, okay, this is really serious now. Like I, I'm having trouble. Like there's wheezing and there's, I, I don't feel I'm, my breaths are getting shorter. They're not as deep. I'm panicking a little bit. There's, there's, there's a, a level of anxiety kicking in right now that is okay. We were crossing into a very severe situation. Very severe. I fortunately made it to the hospital in the nick of time. I pulled into the ER right in front. I believe a valet took the car. I really don't remember clearly. Must have because I got out of the car, handed my keys. I kept my wallet with me and I went right into the emergency room on that Sunday evening. And I remember walking in and there's a few key moments that are so vivid, like they happened early this morning, where I walked in and the nurse behind the intake counter looked at me and I said, I'm having allergic reaction. She says, do you have any ID? And I pulled out my wallet to hand her the my driver's license. And they're in like the little slits and the holders within the wallet. And I remember my I could not function enough to move my hands at this point. I mean, I was able to drive, but that like because that was bigger movements, but it was deteriorating extremely quickly at this point. And I, I couldn't, I remember I couldn't get it out. I was trying to get it out and I was, it was too much. And I kind of fell into the counter a bit while doing it. And I remember her and another nurse jumping out of their seats and, and, and grabbing me and just carrying me back into the emergency room. And I went on a, a bed and I had a doctor, I had four or five nurses or healthcare workers with him and they cut my shirt off and they started going to work and I, they had me on oxygen. I, I was immediately getting Benadryl shots in my arm. I was getting epinephrine. I had all these other chemicals pumping through me and, and, I, I was in this intense pain and then all of a sudden it just kind of faded away. And, you know, there's always the issue of language, which is very difficult to describe these situations where we don't have the words and, you know, I'm going to do my best to describe this situation the best I can for you and your listeners, but we're limited with, with language in a lot of these experiences. And I went into this, I wasn't panicked. I was in this euphoric, blissful state of just kind of out of it a little bit. And, you know, very hard to breathe. I was, I, I, my oxygen levels were one tenth what they were. I had my saturation where they, where they put it on your finger was, was around 10%. I later found out. And, uh, I remember them working on me and they were opening my mouth, looking at my mouth, the epinephrine they were pumping into me was not working. It doesn't always work, I later found out, and that's something everyone needs to be aware of, and sometimes you need multiple injections, or if it's too late, they can't stop the anaphylaxis. You have to use epinephrine in a certain time period for it to be truly effective. So the anaphylaxis was not stopping. I was suffocating more and more every second, every minute, and I was aware of it. I was fully aware of everything that was happening trying, scraping, doing everything I could to breathe and stay alive. Then this peace came over me, this euphoric, I call it a euphoric bliss. I, you, you couldn't 
replicated in this physical world we're in right now. And I'm laying there and I remember, you know, these, these waves of emotion, thought, and, you know, now I look at it and say, I'm, you know, I'm laying there suffocating to death alone on a hospital bed on a Sunday night, just there. And I remember just having, not thinking, but having these knowing feeling and coming to a sense of realization that nothing material really matters. You know, looking at it now, it's, you know, again, I'm suffocating alone in a hospital bed. Nothing, <laughs> nothing material. You're not taking anything with you. And, you know, like love and kindness is really what's most important. And in those moments of life when it's fleeting away and you're on your way out, things get very, very, very clear. And I was in that. I was experiencing that. And I had this calm sense of peace. And, the, and I realized I was dying. And I felt, and even now, I just remember just thinking, oh, this is, I just remember very clearly the exact words, oh, I'm dying. This is it. This is it. And it wasn't, it, it was the feeling. Maybe it was, you know, something that was remembered before, but I, I knew that I was in the process of leaving. And one of the last few moments I, I remember was the doctors scrambling around me. And I, I had no idea. I was like, why are they so panicked? Why are they? I'm in this blissful state. I'm dying. I don't think anything's going to stop this. I mean, it is what it is. There was not that I wanted to die by any means. I, I didn't. I don't. But there was a acceptance that I was okay with. Not that I wanted to. Again, it was very, I, I still haven't, you know, almost nine years later, haven't made full sense of it. And maybe I, I won't in this lifetime, that there was the acceptance and understanding that it was, it was okay and it was happening. And I remember the doctor looking at me and they're opening my mouth and trying to, you know, because I wasn't breathing and the epinephrine wasn't working and they were going to try and stick a tube down my throat to, to, to get oxygen to me, but they couldn't. I later found out they weren't able to because they couldn't get anything down my throat. They couldn't even see down there. It was completely stopped, block, uh, blocked. Couldn't, couldn't get a tube down there. And the doctor looked at me and says, you know, I'm so sorry. I, I can't save your life. Uh, we, you know, they were like, like, you know, and I, I just thought, huh. you know, I, I didn't really have a response. I, I you know, moments before I, I realized I was out the door here. I was passing and I'm still in this state. And I, uh, my, my, you know, in, in this moment, I was you know, greeted. I would use the language best as I can energetically with my grandfathers. One passed away many years before I was born and one passed away several years after I was born. So one I never knew and one I really didn't know. I, I was two when he passed. So there was very limited, uh, you know, knowing, knowing of him. And they came to me. And um, they were very clear. And, you know, I, I always, you know, I, to try and describe this situation the best I can, it's, again, it's very difficult to use language because we don't have it. And I don't want to use the word it was telepathically, but it was these waves of knowing and communication that came in. And it was clear as day that it was them. I, I mean, I can't, you know, I, I knew it was them. It wasn't, you know, a clear picture. I just knew it was them. 
And uh, whether that, you know, I had like the image of them, but it was energetically their being, their essence, their source right there. And they said very few things, but it, it washed over me and they go, you know, you can't die. You have work to do. You got to go back. Got to fix relationships. You have work to do. And um, I remember that moment just saying in my head or communicating back, however I communicated back energetically with them consciously. Okay. I, okay. That was that. And I was like, Oh yeah. All right. Okay. And then I thought, all right, I, I don't, then it, then it, then it changed from a euphoric to really almost a more, I, I was more, I don't have the words for this, but I was more intent on, okay, now I, I, the acceptance was, I don't want to die. Not that I ever wanted to. It was from acceptance to, okay, no, 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 I, I don't. Okay. I got it. Thank you. I got to go back. And in that moment, I remember just this feeling of being pulled back into my body. I did not have an, I wouldn't say I was out of my body looking down on it, but I was not, I did not feel I was there consciously, but I came back into my body in that moment. I snapped in and I said, I, right before that, I said, I don't want to die. I, I don't, I don't, I don't. And then I came back. And in that moment of coming back, I just, remember like again like it happened this morning this this in, in this being almost reborn or pulled back in and just this snap of life and just chaos and pain and insanity just ensued around me from this beautiful blissful euphoric moment to just utter intense pain and 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 emotion and i just remember scraping and and breathing and trying to breathe and, and as much as I can and, and, and fighting to breathe, which is a very strong survival instinct. And, and then moving, I, I started moving. I started grabbing at what the um, doctors, the cords they had on me and the oxygen mass. And I remember saying, I need more air. I need more air. And uh, I'm verbal now where I wasn't for a, a good portion of this. And they, they're like, it's turned up, it's turned up. And, and then they were, you know, excited i was responsive they, they thought i was dead and god they were like well, you can't do anything to help him and uh, anymore they, you know and i i just came back in and i was just in this excruciating excruciating pain physically trying to breathe i was in this you know mentally i was just in a survival mode there wasn't any you know anything spiritual happening this it was just a in your body fight to breathe fight to stay alive uh, fight to get oxygen. That was it. There was no, you know, there was no lovey dovey rainbows and unicorns at this point. It was just brutal survival, adrenaline instinct. And that went on for probably later. I found out about a half hour of just trying to settle in. And then, um, and then I bounced out. I, everything as much as it could return to normal in the next six, seven hours. I was in the hospital and, um, you know, from that physical standpoint of being in there, they just kind of looked at me and they said, geez, you know, you walked in, you weren't even recognizable. You know, you were out of a one to 10, you were a nine and a half. We didn't think we were going to be able to, 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 to help you. It was so, cause you were so far into the anaphylaxis and the procedures weren't, weren't helping the epinephrine, the other chemicals, the, everything else we had going in you and we couldn't get a tube down your throat. 
And um, they're like, well, if you, if you want, I said, well, what, what do I do? How long have I been? Is he been here for eight hours? I said, well, what's next? I said, do you want to go home? So I said, I, okay. So I just kind of got up and they handed me a couple pieces of paper. I walked out and I said, thank you. And I then walked out, I got my car keys and then I got a little parking ticket. And I, I always say, you know, I, I really knew I was back in this world when I went to get my car and I had to pay for parking. So here I was having a full-blown near-death experience, and I'm like, well, I'm definitely back. I, I didn't die. I'm not, I'm not dreaming this. Here I am uh, paying for parking. And then I, um, I went home, and that was the physical aspect of the near-death experience. And I, I always you know, liken an NDE experience to there's the actual experience, and that really makes up you know, 5% of an NDE. And then the other 95 is really what happens in the years and lifetime afterwards, because the NDE was only a few minutes, if that, maybe a few seconds. I, I There's no concept of time really in that, but I was in the hospital for about eight hours and I was critical for about 45 minutes, severely critical. And then it kind of went down from there. Um, and, uh, but here we are eight, eight and a half years later and I'm still fully, integrating, understanding, processing, and working with a near-death experience and, and healing. Um, and, you know, at that time, you know, going, you know, I did not know what an NDE was. I didn't actually find that language or understand what an NDE experience was until several months after. And the first few days after the NDE, I was just in tremendous pain. I, I couldn't really do anything. I just remember laying in bed, being in pain, again, hard to breathe not so much hard to breathe, but it was painful. Like my lungs hurt my everything. When I say everything hurt, I did not want to move. It hurt just to, just to lay there was painful. And then a few days later, you know, you're, you adjust and then, you know, you adjust a little bit more and then you have the adjustments of, you know, what changes for, and again, I had no idea what NB was. I was just like, Oh my God, that was insane. What happened now? What's going on? Because I had this, for about six months afterwards, I had this amnesia, not that I couldn't remember my name or, you know, how to do math or anything like that, but I didn't understand my emotions and myself and or my personality to kind of loop that in where you went in knowing how you are like, oh, this is how I would describe myself. This is how I behave. This is how I act. That was out the window. And I've kept a journal since I was 14 and I, I went back and I've looked at the journal and I, I wrote several times over the few months after that. I said, my consciousness is completely different. There's a shift. I, I you know, I went in one way that hospital, I walked out another and it wasn't like I was doing spirits work or meditating for years. And I had this experience. I mean, it was a violent traumatic event that happened extremely quickly and then it spit me out a different person consciously completely and still to this this moment we're still processing integrating and working through that and on top of it i did not know i was just saying all right let me just write what i feel let me just accept what's happening and try and make sense and go from there and and that, and there were, there were moments, like I remember smelling a rose one day and I, I never really had a sense of smell, which is really funny. I couldn't really smell well. After my NDE, I could smell super well. 
Like I could smell flowers and I could never do that before. Like there's moments where I was like, Oh my God, like that's different. And I just had these, these very tender moments of, I remember like a week or two after or a month after of just, you know, seeing a pretty flower or like a sunset or just a moment in life that you just like, Oh, that's nice. But I, for me, it would be like a full blown, like, Oh my God, what happened? I could have been, I could have died. I did. I die. I don't know what happened again. I had no idea what NDEs are or anything that happened. And I, I went on and then a few months. I, I don't know how this happened, but I stumbled across IAN's group online and I went through the checklist of an NDE and I had like 26 out of 28 characteristics of a near-death experience. I said, all right, let me, let me call them tomorrow morning. So I called them and they connected me with this lovely woman. I was, living, I was in Los Angeles at the time up in Santa Barbara and I said, hey, this is what happened. And she goes, oh, honey, you had an NDE. I go, okay, well, can we talk about that more? I'm trying to figure everything out. Everything's a little upside down for me. I think I even said it that way. I said, I don't know what's going on in my head, my emotions. I like, I just, I couldn't functioning. I could function fine. It was just the, in my head, it was totally a circus of what was going on. So I, uh, I went up to the IN's chapter and I, I started to build a community of, of near death experiencers and, and individuals that are in that field. And it's been still to this day, I, I'm very involved with IANS, which is fantastic at, the national level and local chapters. And I, uh, I started to make sense of what happened and then started to integrate and learning that, Hey, this is what happens. And these are the after effects and this is what you can expect. And this is not anything that's, I mean, it's unique to have an NDE, but it's, you know, these effects of what you're going through within the NDE community are to be, you know, that's what comes up and we, this is the way to deal with it. And here are ways to help process and integrate. And it takes many years. And I don't know, I always joke when it first started, I remember it being like an eight year integration. Then it went to 12. Now it's at 15. And I just said, listen, it, maybe I'm just slow, but it's going to take me decades <laughs> to get this going. Um, and, and like, really, I, I, this is not something I, I ever spoke about up until uh, really publicly about a year ago. Um, before that, again, I, I, a few years after I attempted because I was like, oh, why don't you sneak at the local chapter? You've been coming for two years every month. And I said, all right, I'll go. And, you know, if I did speak, I, I left out about half the story. To put it in perspective, I wouldn't actually even discuss the issue with my, you know, my grandparents. I would just talk about the after effects. And I left a lot of the red meat or the main part of the spiritual component out of the story. Because I just, I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't speak. It just could not come out. Friends and family never never knew about it. They knew I had an incident. Not up until this past March did my family actually really know the extent of the near-death experience. And um, if people and friends that were close to me uh, in Los Angeles, because again, my family was in the Northeast, if they ever really brought it up, I, I, I really shut it down quickly. And it was just not, it was not discussed. I did not talk about it. Everyone knew I had an allergy. They knew there was something. Yeah, he had an anaphylactic reaction. Something happened. And say, well, what happened? And I said, no. I just, no, no. And then um, I, uh, I spoke at Santa Barbara openly about it. And then I connected with some more people. And two things happened that brought me to this point speaking with, with, with you know, Path 11. Um, one was... It's been very healing for me and therapeutic to speak about it and share and it helps me process and integrate and, you know, go through it 
And the second spin, um, you know, people often come back with like a message of what they have to do. Or I, I didn't really get that. And I, you know, I'm so fortunate that I, I walked out of there. I should be dead. I should be severely handicapped if not dead. And I'm very fortunate. I am healthy in all areas of my life. And I'm very, very fortunate and blessed. And I found speaking that it helps a lot of other people from all walks of life and all situations. And that was something I never planned on because I just, I, I have a hard time listening to other NDE stories. So I, I don't listen to many. It's, it's difficult still, even not I, I, it's hard for me to hear other stories. And um, I've had parents that lost children, family members that are, are, are that have lost family members or life or anything. I've had an outpour of people from doing speaking engagements or interviews that have just said, thank you so much for helping. So the first time that happened, when I spoke in Santa Barbara, I had a woman come up to me and thank said, you helped me so much. I said, you know, I think this is something. And I, I felt a little relieved after talking about everything where I just did it. And when I speak, I mean, at the time, I'm, my knuckles are white. I'm sweating through a shirt. It's not something that's very easy to talk about, like a oh, Sunday brunch. You know, these are very intense emotional and uh, stories and uh that that ability to bring comfort healing or, or something to share is, is what motivates me to do this if I, I always say if i can reach one person every time i speak or they stumble across a video you know that that's worth it uh that's a really it's my way to give back it's my thank you and my service to do that and um you know what i I, and what I always try and stress with the NDE is, you know, there's a lot out there that are beautiful and amazing and, and mine, you know, they, they're not all like that. Some are very violent, traumatic, and I don't, you know, I don't wish an NDE on anyone. I mean, there, there's been some blessings of gratitude and after effects have been fantastic in some ways. And you really have a different outlook on life, but there were times that were absolutely terrible. I mean, not knowing who you are, the amnesia, processing, growing into adulthood, growing in with a completely different mind and consciousness. It was tough. I mean, aside from the actual traumatic, violent concept of suffocating to death, uh, you know, the emotional toll is difficult. You know, I'm sitting here eight and a half years later and for eight years, I never spoke about this. You asked me to talk about it, I'd say no, uh, adamantly. And... Um, that that's something that I always want to stress that there are people that have NDs and it's very difficult, very difficult to process, integrate, make sense. And I came in neutral. I, I want to stress that I did not come in with any preconceived ideas of life or death or religion. So I, I was very neutral and that really has helped. I did not have to, you know, you know, there are people that have NDEs and they spend 30, 40 years that are very religious. And then all of a sudden they wake up and they don't believe in anything that they base their identity around for their entire life. Or they come back and they have relationships and all those relationships change. You're a different person, completely different person when you come back. And I was new to LA. So the people that knew me for about hmm, four or five months said, yeah, you're different. And then when I went back to visit friends and family in the Northeast, they're like, yeah, you're different. But now imagine you were with a spouse or kids or you had a certain life or you had a career and it changed. You know, for me, I was starting everything. So I couldn't say I was doing something for 10, 15 years and this was me. And then you wake up and all that makes no sense to you and you don't care. 
I mean, it's very difficult for those around you as well with an NDE because they say, hey, this is who I knew. And now this, I, I don't know this person. I mean, I was a different person. I really want to stress that because it, it was just me. So I only had to focus on myself. I didn't have children or a spouse or really a, a major community around me because I was new to a city where you're a different person. So a lot of NDEers have that situation where they have to really not only deal with themselves, but their, their spot in the community or what they, everyone knew them as. So, um, you know, I was very fortunate. You know, I never had any issue with friends or family having any, uh, you know, issue with me having an NDE experience. I wasn't, you know, trapped in this dogma of religion or anything like that or, so I, I was I was fortunate in that way, but I, I do want to always stress that they are very difficult, and they can be they are very traumatic, and there is a long process of healing and integration and, and understanding that that comes out of them. Yeah, I'm curious to know, like, are you still neutral after having this experience, or do you have a different understanding of something greater, or do you still feel neutral and not quite sure? you know, what you feel about spirituality. That's a great question. Um, I, you know, I would say this, I never had a desire to really know. I don't have a burning desire. I, as of now, I always grew up with a sense of spirituality and being open to holistic, you know, ideas and, you know, Eastern medicine. So there was always that, that base with me. I, um, I'm very spiritual. I believe there is a higher power. I don't know what it is. I think consciousness exceeds our physical realm in this death. And that's where I am. I don't ever, I mean, I don't make that a main point of speaking. I'm not trying to convert anyone or that's just my experience. I could be totally right. I could be totally wrong. Um, I, I think, I feel sometimes we get so wrapped up with what happens next where we don't focus on what's happening at the moment and living life and um, doing the best we can now. And we're always focused on what's next, what's next, what's next, uh, especially with spirituality or, or I need to know. And, you know, maybe you don't need to know. I, I don't, I don't know, but I do know this, that I was, I was peaceful. It was euphoric. You're surrounded by loved ones. And um, I have no fear of death. Never had one prior. I just, you know, you're 23 and even at my age now, 32, I don't, I don't really care. I have other things to focus on. And I think if anything, it brought me to live into the moment and focus on that and not to be confined by what you believe is right. And, you know, you, maybe there are things that are right, or maybe there are things that are wrong, but I, I would just, my opinion would be to be open and be willing for things to change because things do change. People change. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm also wondering, too, because with your story, it's so profound of how much of a different person you became after this. And like you said, that that's pretty common. Uh, I don't think I've ever asked a near death experience person this question because I don't think that they have put so much emphasis on it as you have about just like I became a different person. Um, this is just a wild thought that I'm having, but I'm wondering, you know, if the physical body I don't know if you legally died or whatever, but do you think that a part of who you were up until, 
that age that that consciousness left and a different consciousness came into your body. And there could maybe I don't know if there's like a remembering or if there's like maybe an integration of two consciousness coming together as one of like a little bit of old you that still had memory in your mind of who your family was and who these people are, but another consciousness coming in, or did your consciousness maybe evolve in some way as a result of the near death experience and came back into the physical? That's a, that's a great question. I, I, um, I, I mean, I'll never know, but I, I feel that, there could have been an extreme rapid evolution in those moments. That's what I feel it was. I, um, you know, I, I, I still have a lot of the characteristics. I kind of say in a way I'm forever 24, you know, <laughs> I have, there's still this, you know, there's still some things that, you know, I, I look in, in my, the way I processed it is that, you know, you're going down a path and then I made a hard right one way. And um, I don't know. And I don't, I don't care to think what would happen if it didn't happen or who or where I'd be. That That's a waste of time and energy. I make the most of the situation of where I am and I'm very fortunate and I, I'm thankful I, 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 of where I am and what I'm able to do and all of that. But I, I do feel that there were, I think, I, I feel everyone has the ability and the free will to develop and be whoever they want to be. Some for it may be harder, some it may not be. It's just a focus and intention. And in those moments, I my soul evolved, my consciousness evolved. It was quick, it was fast, it just happened. I jumped light years and we went into that. And um, you know, I that that's where I feel I, I went with that. That's the best I can answer that. I'm still the same person in a way, but we're a little upgraded. It's like the iPhone, it upgrades every few months. <laughs> right. Our upgrade just went like 30 upgrades in a couple minutes. <laughs> <laughs> right. And my body had to catch up. My 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 conscious mind really had to catch up to my unconscious and my soul and my spirituality. That was it. It was lagging because it didn't know. It wasn't given us. I wasn't given, you know, I wasn't given a set of directions to say, oh, hey, this is what happened. This is what to expect. This is what you can do to kind of ease into it. It was, oh, yeah, we just changed everything and you'll figure it out over the next 20 years. Mm -hmm. The best, I can very clear. Honestly, that's the most clear I've ever explained it. And uh, I'm still kind of fumbling through it. And, you know, my journal was really kind of me writing out the directions or figuring out what happened. So that's uh, that's that's where it is. But I, I, I like the changes where it came from. I think the integration is great. Again, there's a sense of gratitude and blessed to have the understanding and always be able to, you know, there are times that are difficult or you're unhappy. But to say, hey, listen, like, this is where we were. This is what happened. Like, you know, big picture, this doesn't mean anything. Like, you were you were dead on a hospital bed. And now we're here. So um, I, I think it, it, it's just, it's, it's a big, it's a lot of big themes. It's a lot of emotion. It's a lot dealing with life, death, consciousness. And I never really concerned myself with those really big questions. Like, why are we here? What are we doing? You know, if anything, I, I think spirituality is very practical. And my message was very practical. And, you know, going out and sharing my story and helping others is helping me. And it's giving back to a community that helped me. And, 
you know, we get all wrapped up in these huge, massive ideas and we got to do this, we got to do that. And, you know, maybe just saying hello to your neighbor or being kind or doing something like that has just as much as an effect. And if we do those little things, it, it really does. So I, I just go back to kindness and gratitude. And if you focus on those two things, everything else takes care of itself. It, it really does. It's not that complex. It mm-hmm. life is not complex. I mean, I just remember laying there and I'm thinking I'm dying and it, it, it wasn't that complex. It was just kind of happening. And it's simple and simple is what works. I love that. <laughs> well, Chris, thank you so much. I'm so glad that you decided to come on to reach out to us to share your story with our listeners. I am sure many people will get a lot out of that. And I think too, you know, within the community that you've created, the one thing that I hear from your story is courage and giving people courage maybe to break the silence about it, you know, and I think you're kind of a little bit of a model of that to show, you know, you were kind of keeping this very quiet for eight years, but then you decided to kind of, you know, come out and start to speak about it, which I think is probably going to give courage to others who are listening and having the same experience that you had, you know, it's like, if you can do it, they can do it. Yeah. And one more thing, you know, I'm very open. If any of your listeners want to reach out, I can be found on Facebook. They just send me a message. Okay, great. All right, everyone. Well, I hope you enjoyed that story. I I was like holding my breath for most of it uh, in the beginning. It was like, oh my gosh. Uh, So it was pretty intense, but I really appreciate it. I hope you guys uh, got something out of this. And if you know anyone maybe who has had a similar experience, share the podcast, you know, just spread, spread Chris's story so we can share it with others. All right, Chris. Well, thank you so much and take care. And uh, thanks again. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks again for listening, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that show. And don't forget to head on over to path11tv.com. Grab your annual membership for $59. Remember, that is 40% off the regular price. So I really want you to take advantage of our launch deal of $59. You get over 75 hours of content that we have on there. So head on over to path11tv.com. Take advantage of the annual membership. All right, guys, take care.